0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today we feature John Stott. In 2011, the evangelical world lost one of its greatest spokesmen. And I have lost one of my closest friends and advisors, said Billy Graham, paying tribute to the Reverend John Robert Walmsley Stott. Whether in the West or in the Third World, a hallmark of Stott's ministry has been expository preaching that addresses not only the hearts, but also the minds of contemporary men and women. Today's message is, The Cross and Christian Discipleship. We began some weeks ago by seeing that the cross The death and the sufferings of Jesus were plainly foretold in the Old Testament, and therefore his death was not an accident. It was not an unexpected turn of events. It was, on the contrary, part of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, which was voluntarily embraced by the Lord Jesus. Having established this important point, We went on to consider the cross in relation to both God and men. We saw the cross as the climax of the revelation of God on the one hand and as the means of the salvation of men on the other. God is revealed and men are saved supremely by the cross of Jesus. In the cross, God's love and justice His wisdom and power are brightly displayed, more brightly than anywhere else. Also on the cross, Christ died for our sins, so that if we trust in him as our Savior, we receive forgiveness and eternal life. Today we turn from the cross in relation to God and men to the cross in relation to the Christian believer, and I've entitled today's talk, the cross and Christian discipleship. Because the very same cross which completes the revelation of God and secures the salvation of men also inspires the imitation of Christ. Let me take as my text the ninth chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke, verses 22 and 23. Luke 9. 22 and 23, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain, and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me." Here for the first time in his public ministry, Jesus predicts his sufferings and death, and immediately adds that if any man would come after him and be a Christian disciple, it will mean taking up the cross and following Jesus to death. It is of the very greatest importance to see that in the teaching of Jesus, discipleship means death. It is impossible to follow Jesus if we're not willing to follow him to the cross. The question before us then today is what kind of death is this which is involved in Christian discipleship? Let's be clear to begin with that it's not a physical death or not necessarily a physical death. To take up the cross and follow Jesus does not mean that every Christian has got to die by crucifixion or indeed by any other means of execution. No, the expression is figurative, not literal. Every Christian is to take up the cross and follow Jesus because he has to die symbolically. We'll see what that means later, but let's be clear, it's not a physical death. And then in the next place, it's not a redemptive death. The supreme purpose of the death of Jesus was redemptive. He bore our sins in order to redeem us from them. But the death we have to die as the followers of Jesus is no more redemptive than it is literal and physical. It has no redemptive value for ourselves or for others. We cannot redeem ourselves, we cannot redeem others by the death we have to die in following Jesus. Let me put it further in this way. The cross of Christ, according to the prayer book, was both a sacrifice for sin and also an ensemble of godly life. That is, it had these two meanings, a sacrificial or redemptive meaning and an exemplary meaning, on the other hand. The sacrifice for sin in the death of Christ was his alone. We can neither share it nor offer it. The example of godly life, however, which is seen in the cross, is for us to imitate. For though he died as our substitute, that we might escape the cross, he also died as our example, that we might take up our cross and follow him. Now, it is important that we should have cleared the ground in this way. Christian discipleship involves death, but the death involved in discipleship is not physical death and it's not redemptive death. Then what is it? What is this death that we are called to die in imitation of Jesus? Well, it has three aspects at least. Let us consider them. Firstly, self-denial. Verse 23 of Luke 9. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's abundantly plain from this that to take up the cross is a figure of speech for to deny oneself. To deny oneself and to take up the cross are synonyms. One explains the other. How is this so? Well, Palestine, of course, in the time of Jesus, was an occupied country. Having been subjugated by the might of Rome, Judea, for instance, was now a province of the Roman Empire. In consequence of this, Roman customs prevailed in Palestine, including death by crucifixion. If, therefore, we had lived in Palestine in those days as a contemporary of Jesus, and if we had seen a man literally carrying a cross we would immediately have recognized him as a prisoner, sentenced to pay the supreme penalty for his crime and about to be crucified. Sir Professor Sweet, in his commentary on St. Mark's Gospel, writes that to take up the cross is to put oneself into the position of a condemned criminal on his way to execution. This is the metaphor, the readily intelligible metaphor, which Jesus used for self-denial. Self-denial, therefore, is not just giving up sweets or cakes or cigarettes or alcohol for Lent. or it may include those things and other things beside, but that is not the meaning of self-denial. To deny oneself is not to deny things to oneself at all. It is to deny oneself to oneself. To deny oneself is to adopt towards oneself the attitude that Peter adopted towards Jesus when he denied him. What did he do when he denied him? Well, he disowned him. He repudiated him. And to deny oneself is to disown and to repudiate oneself as totally as Peter disowned and repudiated Jesus. The cross we have to bear is not some disagreeable feature of life which we sometimes refer to as our cross, like toothache or a squint or an irritable husband or a cantankerous wife. No, no, that is not a cross. To take up our cross and follow Jesus is to take ourself to the cross and crucify it. Now this is what Jesus did. The cross, viewed from one point of view, was the culmination of his life of self-denial. Paul in, the apostle Paul enlarges on this in the second chapter of the Philippian epistle. He says there that Jesus did not regard equality with God as a prize to be grasped for his own selfish enjoyment. He was equal with God. He could have enjoyed equality with God. But he did not regard this equality with God as a prize to be selfishly enjoyed. No, he emptied himself. He laid aside, not indeed his deity, but the glory and honor of his deity. He became man. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, Now I want to ask you to notice in that well-known passage in Philippians chapter 2, the two phrases, he emptied himself and he humbled himself. In other words, he denied himself. He renounced his own legitimate rights as the Son of God and laid them aside. He exchanged his rightful lordship in heaven for lowly servitude on earth. He gave up his divine glory and honor for the bitter shame of a criminal's death by crucifixion. The cross for Jesus involved self-denial. And the Apostle Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now we have a hundred and one, a thousand and one opportunities every day for self-denial, to die to ourself like this to take our self to the cross and crucify it. And I hardly need to remind you that our self badly needs thus to be crucified. Self has an insatiable appetite for the praise of men. Self has ears that are ever cocked to listen for compliments. Self has a very broad back inviting people to pat it. And we have to renounce these self-centered ambitions. We have to take this self to the cross and crucify it. We have to give up what we want in favor of what God wants and what other people want. We have to be willing to serve others instead of making others serve us. We have to learn to forget our name in deference to God's name, to forget our kingdom in deference to God's kingdom, to forget our will in favor of God's will. All this is involved in taking up the cross, denying self, and following Christ. Do you remember that the apostle Paul wrote once in his first epistle to the Corinthians, I die daily. Every day he died. That is, he took his self to the cross and crucified it. He repudiated his own right to run his own life. Again, in the epistle to the Galatians, he wrote, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, that is, their old nature, with all its affections and lusts. We've we've rejected the right of the old nature to rule us any longer. Rather a dramatic modern example of this is taken from George Muller, the famous Christian in Bristol who founded that orphanage. He was hard-pressed, apparently on one occasion, to tell the secret of his life. And he said this, There was a day when I died, utterly died. And as he spoke, he bent lower and lower until he almost touched the floor. Continuing, he added, I died to George Muller. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I've studied only to show myself approved unto God. Discipleship involves death, death to self, self self-denial. The second aspect of taking up the cross is self-control. And I want now to turn you to another passage, this time in the first epistle of Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, 1 Peter 2, 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cruel. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called. You were called to this because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now here the cross of Christ is an example of self-control rather than of self-denial. It is an example of controlling ourselves and forbearing revenge rather than of denying ourselves in the service of God and of men. And in this, Jesus left us an example. Let us note what the example was. He suffered, that's plain. He was insulted, mocked, scourged, spat upon, crucified, he suffered. More than that, he suffered unjustly. He did not deserve to be treated in this way. He committed no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He suffered, he suffered unjustly. More than that, he endured unjust suffering with patience and self-control and without revenge. When he suffered, he threatened not. Now the application of that by St. Peter was plain. Peter was writing to Christian slaves in domestic employment of a non-Christian master. If they were beaten, uh, not because they'd done wrong and deserved it, but simply because they were Christians, although they didn't deserve it, Peter says they were to take it patiently. They were not to take revenge. They were not to retaliate. They were not to be bitter. They were not to be resentful. They were to follow the example of Jesus and to suffer unjustly with patience. And Peter says, to this you have been called. This is part of the Christian calling. It's part of the Christian vocation. What is? Not just to suffer, but to suffer unjustly. And not just to suffer unjustly, but to bear it patiently. People do wrong to us. They're unkind or rude or mean or nasty to us. We've done nothing to deserve this treatment. It's unfair, it's unjust. We're tempted to resentment or revenge, to harbor a grudge in our mind against them or to hit back. We long to get even with somebody who's tricked us or slighted us or ill-treated us. But still the call of Jesus comes to control ourselves, to follow in his steps who suffered unjustly yet patiently and renounced all thoughts of revenge. This too is involved in taking up the cross and following Jesus. Self-denial, self-control. The third aspect of taking up the cross is self-sacrifice. The cross of Jesus Christ is a pattern not just of self-denial and of self-control because these are negative virtues. It is also a pattern of the positive grace of self-sacrifice. To deny oneself to oneself is good. To control oneself and forbear revenge is better. But to give oneself to others in humble, loving service Is best of all. This is involved in taking up the cross to follow Jesus. It's significant to notice that the criminal under Roman occupation in Palestine, the criminal was compelled to carry his cross to the place of execution. He he was obliged to do it. The cross was laid upon him, he couldn't escape it. But we, like Jesus, are to take up our cross freely and voluntarily in self-sacrifice. And in order to enlarge on this meaning of the cross and taking up the cross, I want to bring you another passage, and that is the first epistle of John, chapter 3. 1 John 3, and let me read verse 16. We're going later to look at other verses here, 17 and 18, but let me read you 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. You notice the words of God in the authorized version are in italics. They're not there in the Greek, and we should rather translate with the Revised Standard Version, Hereby perceive we love. That is, this is how we come to know the meaning of love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. According to this verse, the teaching of this verse, the meaning of love is self-sacrifice, self-giving. Hereby perceive we we love because he gave his life. Love is self-giving. And since our greatest possession is life, the greatest love is in the laying down of our lives. Now, just as the essence of hate is murder, so the essence of love is self-sacrifice. These are opposites. Murder is the taking of another man's life. Self-sacrifice is the laying down of our life. And this is what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us. And we are to do the same. The cross To Jesus meant self-surrender to the utmost. To take up our cross will mean no less for us. Ephesians 5 verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Oh, not that we're all called to give our lives physically for others. There are many other forms, many lesser forms, but true forms of self-giving apart from the supreme sacrifice of death. Let me go on now in 1 John 3, verse 17. Whoso has this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his heart of compassion against him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, love sees a person's need and seeks to alleviate it however much it costs. Love gives food to the hungry, shelter to the homeless, help to the destitute. Love befriends the friendless and the lonely. Love serves the aged, visits the sick, entertains the stranger, cares for the mentally disturbed. Love ever gives, forgives, outlives, and ever stands with open hands, and while it lives it gives. For this is love's prerogative, to give and give and give. All this is involved in taking up the cross, because all this is self-sacrifice. Mind you, I think I need to add that this giving, the giving of money and help and time and so on, if it is true love, it's going to be self-giving. Because it's quite possible to give money and food and time to the needy and yet withhold oneself but the giving of money and food and time are of value only if they are symbols of the giving of one's self. Such self-giving is always inconvenient and it's often actually painful, but to take up the cross and follow Jesus is always painful. Let me conclude. This is the revolutionary ethic of the cross of Christ. This is what his cross meant for him. And this is what our cross is going to mean for us if we take it up and follow Jesus. This is the meaning of Christian discipleship. There is no discipleship without death. There is no true Christian discipleship without taking up the cross and following Jesus. Oh, but you say, this is an impossible standard. This is an unattainable ideal. Yes, you're quite right, it is. For what is natural to us in our fallen human nature is self-will. How can we practice self-denial? What is natural to us is self-indulgence. How can we exercise self-control? What is natural to us is self-preservation. How can we give ourselves in self-sacrifice? Self-denial, self-control, self-sacrifice, none of these is natural. They are contrary to our fallen human nature. Then how can we practice them? Well, let me answer your question in two ways. First, we need to be born again. Perhaps nothing discloses more clearly the necessity of a new birth, than these unattainable ideals of Jesus. They are all in direct conflict with our fallen human nature because our nature is fundamentally selfish. I tell you it is impossible to practice self-denial, self-control, self-sacrifice without being born again. The paradox could be stated like this, that we've got to be born before we can die. Before we can die with Christ, we must be born again. And the second answer to your question is this. We must not only be born again, but having been born again, we need to take up the cross daily. Please notice that adverb which Luke adds to the record of Mark and Matthew. We are to take up the cross every day. Don't imagine that this is an issue that can be settled once and for all, for good and forever, because it cannot You cannot take up the cross one day and imagine you've settled it for good. Oh, it's quite true. We must repent when we first come to Jesus, turning decisively from sin and self. Ah, but we need to repent every day, moment by moment, to turn from sin and self. We have to take up our cross daily. We have to take this proud haughty, lazy, rebellious, stubborn, recalcitrant self to the cross and crucify it, utterly rejecting all its evil desires. And this is the meaning of mortification, putting ourselves to death, and it is a continuous process. Could we not remember this? No discipleship without death let that's here again, the summons of Jesus. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You've been listening to John Stott. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.